What's up, guys? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats Finance Cast number 28. Unfortunately, our bearded buffoon Jim couldn't make it this week. Um, he's getting ready for GP Atlanta this week. And luckily, we did find someone who can definitely step up and take the throne or take the crown this week. But first, let's see uh, who the cast is this week, if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hello, my name is Douglas Johnson, perpetual guest on Brainstorm Brewery and permanent member of Cartel Aristocrats. Uh, I write for QS, and my articles go up on Thursday. And this is where Matt would chime in, but given that his video free frame has frozen, I'm not sure he's with us. Well, who's the, salt, the salty spittoon talking to us? Uh, you. It'd be you. Uh, I, I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Wednesday at mtgprice.com, and I'm on the podcast MTG Fast Finance with James Chilcott. And whenever our guest's internet decides to work again, I'm sure he'll be on shortly. It is really tough. You know, as much as I trash talk New York, he's in an even worse place for those of you that live in the Midwest. He's in Kansas. It's the dark land, Simba. Don't go over there. Isn't that like uh, close to Corbin? Uh, do you know geography at all? I know that they don't live on the coast, which as far as I'm concerned means that they live in a pit somewhere in the middle of the country. <laughs> Both Oklahoma and Missouri border Kansas. It's like Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma. So Kansas is west of Missouri, and then south or southwest of Missouri is Oklahoma. They're called flyover states for a reason. Yeah. So anyway, we've got some things to talk about this week. Our guest for this week is having some internet issues, so he'll probably be back on shortly. Um, we had Kaladesh come out, and we had the GPND results. What do you guys think about those? What's going on with that? I was super wrong about vehicles being a competitive tribe, which I think is hilarious. Uh, I trash-talked the entire... Uh, tribe a lot on Twitter and in like articles and podcasts and all that saying it never be a competitive deck and saying how it was like a for funsies like casual player deck that never see the light of day and then like there's three decks in the top eight. I don't think you go out and buy all the vehicles right now because week one results should be taken with a grain of salt, but I don't know. I'm actually happy about my Sky Sovereign, so that's a good thing. I'm hoping they'll get here soon so I can sell them at seven or eight. Wait, there's seven or eight? Yeah. SCG sold out at eight and TCG markets like seven fifty. What did you get uh, the map for? Four. Shout out to people who say they're going to pre-order stuff and then don't pay for it. Wait, I really appreciate that. I'm not naming any names. No, I'm just I saying paid you. Shout out to people who paid for Sky Sovereigns and then never paid me. Are you telling me I didn't pay you for those? No. I'm only going to look this up when we're done because I know you PayPal'd me. I PayPal'd you last night for those other cards. Not Sky uh, Sovereign. <laughs> did you mail them? No, you haven't paid me yet. Oh, all right. Well, I'm to double check this. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to us having a finance, a uh, MTG Finance Facebook group where people pre-ordered 16 copies, and I have not been paid for a single one. <laughs> Feels good. Was that got, was that Corbin? I'm not gonna name names, <laughs> but uh, I guess I'll just put them on TCG instead of the five, four or five bucks that I was gonna pre-order sell them to you guys. You can't be mad about that because he works for a TCG player now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I made fun of Corbin today on Twitter, and TCG player was tagged in the tweet, so it opened up a help desk ticket because I made fun of him, and I enjoyed that. Wait, did they like berate you, or did they like? No, it automatically opens up a help desk every time you mention them in Twitter, which is really annoying. Oh, that's so I like make fun of Corbin. It's like we're here to help you with the issue of Corbin being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, so TCG is an automatic Twitter response, or like automatic every time? Every time you tweet and tag MTG at TCG player. TCG player. I I get an email from their support desk from Zendesk. Yeah, I'm not sure how they linked. I, I might have my email in the profile or something like that. But yeah, really... that sounds miserable. Who yeah, do you think has better customer service lately, Star City Games or TCG Player? I mean, TCG, TCG wants player. it bad. I mean, anyway, I don't deal with either of them, but they want it bad. If our guest internet connection has reset, you would think <laughs> being in the hellhole that's Kansas. Who are you? Who do you write for? What do you do? Why why are you on this cast? Why do you deserve to be on this cast? Uh, I am Matt Mendoza. I am a coverage team member. I am 
uh, a member of the A-team on ManaDeprived.com. Uh, I also know a little bit about MTG Finance. I managed a store for a little under two years and uh, have made quite a bit of money buying and selling. So uh, I've been kind of nerding out about it, and that's why I'm here. And uh, for, for those of you who don't know, the store he managed is the infamous Ogre Games oh, yeah. in St. Louis. So he's got some stories to tell that we might delve into later. Oh, um, no, we, we don't. <laughs> NDAs are fun. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about GP Indy and Smuggler's Copter. Was there something that you wanted to add about this? Uh, well, it's SCG Indy, right? Yeah. I wasn't going to call him out on that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a long time since we've seen 32 copies of one card in the top eight. And uh, I am really surprised at how the metagame is going to react uh, to a card this dominant. I mean, there were decks, uh, if you look at throughout the top 64, there were decks, a lot of people projected the white-black Eldrazi deck to do something. Uh, in the top 64, there were literally no white-black Eldrazi decks. So uh, the metagame is only kind of what people thought it would be, only it's just crazy how many people are playing uh, Copter. So I'm curious how the PT is going to have an effect on that, because if there's not a good answer, if there's not an elegant answer to... A two mana three three artifact creature that is only an artifact creature during your opponent's turn. When a lot of the removal in this format is not instant speed, uh, like incendiary flow, we're playing incendiary flow as one of the key pieces of removal in this format. And declaration of stone, neither of them can kill smuggler's copter. So I'm curious if the format's going to adapt and what's going to do. So, uh, in terms of price, I project it will probably go up. A little bit until at least the Pro Tour proves it wrong. And um, I personally think that the Pro Tour will have something to answer Smuggler's Copter. We've always seen after the Pro Tour things tend to return to their natural state, so I wouldn't worry too much about where Standard is going. I uh, I want to respond to what Doug said before um, before, but uh, first of all, I totally called vehicles, Doug, hundred uh, percent. But, uh, I mean, the whole format in general, this Star City Open was extremely aggressive. I mean, if you look through the top 64, there's like very few decks, uh, that you can qualify as not aggro. And even in the top eight, you're like, Oh, green, black delirium. That's not an aggro deck. Well, it's got one mana three threes and two mana four fours and four fives. So, I mean, it's easy to look at these week one results and be like, wow, this format is blah, blah, blah. Smuggler's copter is broken, whatever. But every single deck was an aggro strategy or close to it. So that's very unlikely to persist. Um, so I would expect a, a pretty strong snapback next weekend. There was a pretty cool graveyard deck that made top 32 that was on camera for most of the weekend that used Haunted Dead and the three mana four, four ghoul steed or whatever. Mm -hmm. That looks really cool just to pilot. That's something I might play just because I like really weird strategies. It would be cool to dredge something up like that and just run it at my local FNM. Yeah, I uh, I actually just picked up all the stuff for that. So. Yeah, yeah, the deck looks good. Anything we're that not you guys gonna acknowledge your puns, by the way. Oh yeah, well not this while podcast. Not while I'm be... on this cast, okay. we're not going to do that. Okay, well we're off to a very good start anyway, so we might as well start our engines. Is there anything that you guys want to talk about before we move on from SEG Indy? concerning wanna, the event i want to talk about the thing that matt suggested we talk about before we started the cast yep well we were going that. to segue into that but apparently we're just going to i hit just it. did all right matt what's this awesome topic that you want to talk about because we all know that when you have the salty spittoon himself travis on the cast he's got a lot of bad beat stories uh i guess the the one of the ones that i topics that i wanted to talk about was uh, weird buy stories like already you know i've only bought and sold a few collections so my stories are definitely not as numerous as your guys's are probably but i've already had one where i got a collection and uh, uh this is kind of actually a a a tale of uh, a cautionary tale where uh I, I got it from a smoker so everything stinks and i cannot keep almost I can keep none of the boxes, even the penny sleeves that she kept cards in. I have to throw all of those away because of the because it just stinks. And I was wanting to know if you guys had those uh, those experiences 
And if you guys had any advice along those lines for people who are picking up collections that maybe want to, to either know about or avoid that extra work that comes with dirty collections. Uh, are we talking like dirty collections specifically or like really just bad beat stories or. Um, I would say weird buys. Okay. Where, you know, either either really weird, like oh my god, well, I'm buying a magic collection from this sort of scenario, or um, and, and kind of tying into that, I want us to to be constructive and talk about uh, pitfalls where you have to like, for example, had I known how much work this collection was going to be, just because I was having to transfer boxes, uh, like buying new five rows just for this collection. I may have been more aggressive about talking, you know, negotiating them down. What do you, uh, what do you guys think? Uh, I have a weird buy story, but it kind of qualifies as like, uh, what's the opposite of bad beats? Good beats story. Okay. So, um, it's, I bought a collection from a guy who had been playing like completely casually for the past 20 years, never had a DCI number, never touched a tournament. Um, just loved his like angel and demon decks, all that jazz. Basically, the perfect collection buy had like thirty thousand bulk commons and uncommons, of which later I found a vampiric tutor in. So like that kind of player. And I looked through his like binders of rare cards and mythic cards. Um, he like really thought his decks were worth the most, which was funny because they had like Sangir Vampire and Sarah Angel in them. And I was like, <laughs> no, the, the value is not in there. But let me look through your binders, see what you got. He has a, this is like three years ago, so it's about like, it's before Expeditions and all that. I found a perfectly mint Foil Scalding Tarn. Okay. A perfectly mint uh, Misty Rainforest. Uh, like a dozen or so Shocklands, just never been touched. Uh, original set, just in the binder. And he didn't like them. He never used them, never even wanted to put them in decks just because they make you lose life, they're garbage, uh, that kind of flair. And so... I had around $600 in my pocket, and that's, or no, I had 700 and I was like, this is the most I'm going to be able to offer on this guy. It was around like 1300 or 1400 mid, and I was like, this is the most I'm going to be able to offer this guy. I would prefer to offer him a little more, because he's got it nicely sorted and everything with the rares and mythics, but the most I can offer on this is 700 and I figured he was going to turn me down. So then I, we go outside to talk, and I'm like, look, I can only offer you 700 and he's like, you know what, man? Because you pulled out that Scalding Tarn and that Misty Reinforce and you told me exactly what they're worth, I'm going to take 600 from you. Is this uh, is this just going to be the podcast of look at how good at MTG Finance I am? I told you it was a good beat story, but it's a weird collection buy because like I pulled out the Tarn and the Misty and I was like, dude, you know how much these are worth? And I told him how much they're worth. And then he appreciated my honesty and then dropped 100 off my initial offer. So it's a weird buy. Travis, you got any weird stories? Yeah, I have a weird story about this one time I was on this podcast, and this guy told this really boring story. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I have any great ones. I have definitely had collections that were smokers or the basement flooded and the cards were damaged. Um, I mean, those are just – you can't save them. Uh, and if you walk in to buy a collection and the person's smoking, uh, you kind of have to, like, come to a number and then knock 10% more off because it's it's going to yeah. be – you don't know what's going to happen to them. That's always messy. Um I will. They, you definitely want to look, even if it's a huge collection. Look through every box. Uh, look at every card, or try, try you know, not look at every card, but open every box and really make a point to go through them. Which can feel really awkward if you're standing in somebody's home and they have twenty or thirty boxes, and you're like, God, I don't, you know. You feel a little weird doing it while their kids are running around screaming. But I had one collection where I looked through a box and I saw like a sort of light and shadow and I think engineered explosives and like several val I think there's an LED in there, several valuable cards in this one long box. I was like, okay, this seems to be pretty stacked. So I made it like basically an offer of like retail price on the cards that I had seen. And then when I brought it home, there's nothing else. That was it. I had like seen the only eight cards in the collection that were worth anything. Oh, wow. So basically paid retail for these handful of cards, which, you know, could have been worse, but it was not ideal. Um, so avoid that. Uh, trying to think. I, I don't think I've ever been really burned on a collection. Sometimes though, it is very easy to get ahead of yourself when you're buying a collection or an EDH deck. I did that one time um, and ended up giving them more than you should. 
yeah, not to the point easy to do. Yeah, not to the point where you lose money, but like they're a friend or a friend of a friend and there's some cool cards you kind of want for yourself. And instead of giving them 40%, 30%, you give them like 65 or 60%. And then it turns out the condition's a little not quite as good as you wanted it to be. And suddenly you're like, okay, I guess I can sell these on TCG Low, but I'm going to get back exactly what I spent on them. Um, and you can end up, and I mean, the one EDH deck I did that with was like $2,000. So I tied up a lot of money and a lot of cards that didn't really, um, move for me right away. Uh, so it's easy to get carried away when you're buying collections, especially if they're cool cards. Uh, so you kind of have to remember to rein yourself in. I'm what's known as a card vacuum and I pay a really high percentage to get cards in. So like when someone's like, yo, Zemet, like before we started this cast recording, someone just messaged me if I want to meet up and try and pick up an ancestral recall. And I'm like, ooh, an ancestral recall. And then you realize that you have these and you're like, uh, how much How much more am I going to buy before Atlanta? I mean, I've heard you call the vacuum before, but usually there's a very specific verb <laughs> tied to that. Yeah. I mean, so I guess, well, I mean, I would say something mean about Travis, his mother, but she does have some redeeming qualities, such as she can suck a golf ball through a garden hose. I'm sorry to hear that your profits went up in smoke, Matt. That really sucks. I personally don't buy collections that have been that smell a lot like smoke. That's just not something that's really struck a fire in me. Uh, I've got a lot of stories. Why can't we be the ones to mute you? Why is that yeah. not a thing? <laughs> yeah. Why do you think he's the organized that? I don't yeah. actually think that my I, I haven't really lost profits, for example. I've just spent more time working with this collection as opposed to uh, I, I could have probably spent a lot less time on it had it had been not uh, had I not had to buy all these other materials for it. So in that respect, it's a little bit less profitable, but I actually do expect to get stuff from it. Um, what sort of weird adverse conditions have you guys run into? I mean, is it something, I mean, you mentioned water damage. I mean, are silverfish a concern or other sort of like dirty, like, you know, that players who play magic, but they don't also wash their hands. So all of their cards are basically black speckled. Uh, are there any other stuff that you guys look out for? Anything, involved, anything involving ogre is never good. Uh, never <laughs> run an 18 wheeler truck. To, but to do bulk because it will inevitably break down and you'll be stuck in the middle of Tennessee when Bouchard's waiting on Bouchard sitting there with like 1.5 million cards waiting to get picked up and then Bouchard rents a U-Haul and it turns out the U-Haul can't support that much weight so he has to rent a bigger U-Haul and then he loses all of his profits and then the people that he sends were supposed to arrive at midnight and arrive at 6.30 in the morning and they're like completely donezo and they were expecting to stay the day and then they leave at like 8 a.m. Yeah, fun times. Did you end up uh, losing money on that whole process? Oh, of course. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that was uh, that was I I I lost money because I haven't sold it all yet. If that will makes you, sense. Will you have lost money if you sell everything? I will probably break even. So that's the best that I can say for that. A much shorter story that I have is uh, be very careful with three ring binders. Number one, because if you're buying bulk out of three ring grinders, like there are some casual players who are like, I have a set of Return to Ravnik, and they like jam like three uh, pack rats into one sleeve and then like four stab wounds into the next sleeve and all that stuff. Like, number one, picking bulk out of binders can take absolutely forever. Like, you, there might be like a thousand cards in a three ring binder, and you're like, I'll give you three dollars for that, and then it takes you two hours to take everything out. Um, and also, if you're buying valuable cards out of three ring binders, be careful what the rings can do to the cards. Like the inside uh, track of the binder, the the ring will like press against it and damage it. So you got to take out every card individually and like, make sure that it doesn't have a giant dent in it because then it's just automatically damaged and that sucks. I'm going to chime in really quick just because I thought about it, something else I've done. Look at collections in good lighting. Uh, I'll even throw a flashlight in my car sometimes because someone's apartment might be dim and the lights aren't great. And then the cards are actually in much worse condition than you realize they were. Okay. I want to add a thing on uh, under what Travis first said though about a little I actually disagree um like if they have 20 30,000 bulk like bulks cards I'm not going to like check every single box or like skim through uh -huh. every box I'm just, I'm just going to make them a flat offer and be like look if you want to pull out all the rares and stuff that you think is worth it do so otherwise I'm paying x per thousand on these and you can show me the cards that you want to sell separately. That's what nope. I do usually. That's that. All right. So I, I let me revise my statement. 
don't only pay for cards that you have seen. Do there not pay a premium on cards that you think might be in boxes, but you don't know. No, everyone knows the best way to make money is to bid $5,200 on an eBay lot, get $1,700 in cards, and then file a complaint to eBay to get your money back after you open a damaged Mox Pearl. That was one of the biggest shit things of all time I've ever seen on the finance subreddit. Well, who did that happen to? It was some random guy. Yeah, it was all over the finance like He made a YouTube video of him like, buying a huge collection off eBay for like 5000 X dollars. And then he was like, oh, yeah, there's probably going to be some value in here because the uh, the seller, like, listed it as, like, death and fire manner or whatever. And so he figured that the seller didn't know the value of his own cards, and then he got burned. And he bitched about it, and he, like, posted saying that he's done this before, that he's returned collections. And, like, for somehow eBay still, after all this stuff came out on Reddit, still gave him his money back, which is insane. eBay bends over backwards to protect buyers. Yep. It sucks. Um, things I look out for, if you come in with rubber banded cards, I will just slip my wrist rather than deal with you because that's like the worst thing I've ever seen. Okay. Like I always assume rubber banded cards are damaged and it's mainly been the case. Um, what What else? There was something else I wanted to add here. I think the general rule of thumb, I mean, Doug and Jeremy know more about this, but for me, the general rule of thumb when buying any volume of cards has been Pay less than you think you should. And it, it's just much safer. It's too easy to get carried away. So I pay too high on purpose and I go through my customer's bulk with me. We found $300 worth of damaged dual lands in his bulk last week. And now he's bringing his friends in to sell me their bulk. The reason why I do this is because I'm on a mission to become the best shop in Missouri, which we already are for other games outside of Magic. And by being this transparent with customers, we literally get every collection that comes in the door that's in the area. And that's, and that's, a, that's a completely valid and serviceable strategy for somebody that's running a store. For yep. most people like myself, we're just kind of like doing it, you know, as a side hobby type of thing. Uh, you know, you just, you, you don't want to get ahead of yourself. I would like to point out though, that Doug and I do have these outs and Matt might have this out in the future of having like being contracted to a shop, being able to sell stuff out of the shop front and then they take a cut, but you don't have to worry about anything else. The employees do all the rest of the work. Sometimes so, the employees do like opposite of work though. Sometimes they screw up everything. Yeah. Sometimes My they store your legacy deck into your... Uh, I swear to fucking God. <laughs> Man, my sorters are the dumbest people on the planet, and I pay them way too much. And I know they watch this cast, so if you're listening, you need to get back to work because we have a bunch of shit that needs to get done by Friday. So, <laughs> yeah. Let's let's get on that, sorters. You better not be watching this live from the shop. I guess they sound sort of stupid. Yeah. No, I, I literally found, like, the the biggest boosted monkeys I could possibly find on the face of the magic universe. And yeah, it's bad. I will um, acknowledge that Travis said that it sounds sort of stupid. Ha. Uh, ah, uh, sort of sort sorters. So they sound sort of stupid. Was that intentional? See, Jeremy is so obvious with it. <laughs> you gotta be slick. Yeah. That, was, that was good. Yep. Um, yeah. So, are those all the bad beat stories we want to talk about or like things to watch out for? Uh, if we're talking about like collections and oh, volumes of cards, yes. Good, good weird story. I, I bought boxes of dragons maze before and that was a mistake. I've got a really weird story because all of us... Did you buy a $58 box of Born of the Gods and then spend hours trying to defend that it was a good idea? <laughs> Don't trash talk SIG. And those... I bought $50 boxes of Dragon's Maze when I bought out the first store I ever bought out, and those lasted for three years before I could find somebody to sell them at 60 You say 50 boxes? No, I said I bought two boxes of Dragon's Maze at $50 each. Yeah, 50 okay. <laughs> you don't need a bash sig like that. One of the weirdest things I've done was we all went to Vegas, right? Matt, were you working Vegas? I forget. Uh, which, the first GP Vegas? Second one. Uh, no, I was actually in Chiba. Okay. Yeah, you were at Chiba. I forgot about that. Um, second Vegas, I sat outside of the hall and bought cards from everyone walking by on the other side of the Westgate. Like, I tweeted out to Chris Combs that he wanted to sell a bunch of old school stuff that people weren't offering him anything on. And I bought a ton of stuff from him in the lobby of the Westgate on the other side of the convention center. And then he, like, told all of his friends. And I just sat there with a buy mat as, like, pastimes – or not pastimes – CFB people walk by, like they're the people that work for CFB, 
like other vendors and I'm just sitting there with the buy map buying stuff and I was like, Am I gonna get in trouble for this? Yeah. Luckily I could go now. into the what? You are now. Well, I mean, I was not in the venue. I was not outside the venue. I was in the hotel across from the venue, across the street. So well, that's different. You made yeah, it sound so, like we were just on the steps. No, I wasn't like hustling people right on the steps. I'm not that stupid. Uh, if you go to a Grand Prix, by the way, like reach out to people going to Grand Prix because they might buy your cards first. I know that yeah. there's some people that are also vendors for Grand Prix that when they don't have a booth, they'll like get their inventory at GPs anyway. Completely like set up ahead of time and well within the rules of a GP structure. So it's cool. Yeah, that's the only other weird story I've got, I think. Oh, I have a weird story. Um, Somebody off. Somebody texted me and asked if they wanted to... They told me they wanted to sell their collection. I said, sure, whatever, meet me up. And they said, I just want to get rid of extra copies of cards that I'm not using because they're a casual player. I'm like, sure, fine. And then they show up and, like, it's, it's only four or five different cards. And it's, like... 99 copies of like that one delve rare like where you like tap and tap him and like exile cards to kill guys it's like 99 like blood craze neonates <laughs> from innistrad it's like 150 like some random bulk like the uh like the nine mana green bulk rare from zendikar or from oath the gatewatch or zendikar resurgent yeah it's like yeah. 100 something copies of that so i guess they just like bought ebay lots and then just like somebody scammed them and sent them like 100x copies of like six different bulk wares and so they were like yeah i'm only going to play four of these i don't know what to do with the rest of them so i still have like 100 <laughs> copies of nocturnus regent or whatever the like yeah, the bulk wares. yeah there's a lot to watch out for when you're buying regent. those things yeah that on one. ebay so just keep that in mind matt was there another topic that you wanted to talk about besides bad beats uh yeah i wanted to ask pick your guys's brain about your process uh, Jeremy, less about yours because you are kind of in a unique situation where you are contracted through a store, and therefore your a lot of the 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 advice that you have. It, it's not necessarily that it doesn't apply; it's that it's not specific to people like Doug and Travis and I who don't have storefronts who are basically. Well, Doug does have a storefront, but oh, continue. Yeah. You are also right. It, Jeremy's advice also is useless. Yep, that is definitely <laughs> true. Um, I was kind of curious where how you guys move cards how where you have made your money in the past and just you don't have we can go into specifics we can go into generals general advice i was just curious well i will tell you that before i got any storefronts it was all about ripping off little kids and binder trades because that's what i'm kidding by the way uh just set yourself up as like someone who can get any card that anyone wants i know shout out to stefano black uh, definitely an interesting character, but he gets people the cards that they want, and that's why people choose to do business with them. I mean, I didn't always used to have a storefront, but I can sort of explain how I got to the point where I do. Um, sure. I I started doing this like senior year of high school, like 2011-2012 ish, and there was a lot of people in my area who were like very high level binder grinders like they had binders full of duels shocks all that stuff and i didn't really have any sort of buying power i was just like a regular player with a standard deck and uh modern deck and all that stuff and like one binders with the cards so i started just like targeting everybody's bulk and bulk rares just because that was the only thing that i could go underneath the big pyre power buyers who were like yeah i don't want your bulk i don't want your crappy rares and so I was basically the only one in my entire college town who was saying, like, yeah, I'll trade for these at 10 cents a piece and then, like, count up all your value to this, like, $10 hollowed fountain and I'll trade you your hollowed fountain for 100 bulk rares. And then, like, the casual players at my college would come up to me and say, like, oh, my God, you've got this casual rare and super amazing rare. I'd be like, yeah, 25 cents, man. You want it? Take it. And then just those incredibly high multipliers on, like, bulk rares and then bulk commons and uncommons, too, were, like, sort of what catapulted me from, like, having a binder's worth of stuff into like having a storefront's inventory worth of stuff just over the course of like two years. Okay. Uh, I, I have a question, specific question based on the trading. Those little cards that are, uh, how do you, uh, so one of the things that I, I've been trying to do is trade more, but what I find is that it's harder to trade with competitive players than it is casual players. Is that, 
Have you found that to be the case? I'm going to interject right before Travis and Doug answer. Matt, this might blow your mind, but apparently trading is dead outside of the Midwest. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. I actually was curious as to what, like, is it literally just buying and selling? Other, I, Doug, do you want to go ahead and answer? But like, people, yeah, people still trade at LGSs and stuff like that. But just based on my uh, viewing experience, like, people are miserable when they trade, even when they're just like not looking to make value. Uh, let's just say it's like some random guy who wants cards for a standard deck. Player B is some random guy who wants cards for his modern deck, and they're flipping their binders. And neither of them can still agree on like, well, this is like fifty-five cents over. Okay, can you like spend five more minutes flipping through my binder for like something to make it even? Like, it's just nobody can agree, and everybody's really, really scared to just lose that five, ten cents of value or whatever in like a trade. That's just based on my personal experience, and like, that's just sort of why I shut down from trading and just I mostly moved to buying and selling with cash. But like, if somebody comes up to me and wants to trade with me. Everybody in my area knows like what they come to expect when they trade with me now. Like I have all the stuff you want. You don't have anything that I specifically need. So I'm just going to like value your stuff at X and you'll get basically whatever you want from me. And I'm the, like the quickest way to make that all in one transaction. Cause people will just like come to me with their binders full of Kawadash bulk rares, both the Gatewatch bulk rares and be like, none of these are needed for my standard deck. You have a, Avison, and then trades happen, and I get all your bulk rares at ten cents a piece, and all your bulk commas and commas at three point five per k. Uh, you know, I don't hang around card stores as much as I used to, but uh, I definitely was moving away from trading, um, even when I was still showing up two or three times a week. Once cell phones became really ubiquitous, and oh, everyone yeah. had apps on their phones, um, I mean, it was just not only was it impossible to make any value, but it seemed like players were generally a little less eager to trade, anyways. Uh, you know, part of trading always seems to have this uh, sort of mystique to it, right? It was a little more interesting. Um, because you didn't know exactly what your the other guy was on, so you were kind of approaching things differently, um, sort of like how you might trade, you know, like a bazaar, like with piece, with items that really don't have a, a book value. Uh, there was no way to to value them, so there was some negotiation. But you know, once that information got more and more um, out there, people were just like, oh yeah, whatever. This is exactly what the card is worth. I need to trade it for exactly that much. Nobody's ever willing to give up twenty cents. Um, so, you know, a lot of us have moved away from it because we shifted, it became much harder for us to gain value. And, um, we found other strategies to, to make money that, that didn't involve that grinding. But even I think for the average player, um, it's just become a lot more laborious than it used to be. I'd like I just to feel think, like, sorry, I just I'd feel like, like, uh, bulk rares are the exception to this because like, uh -huh. Once, once that, uh, once that random bulk rare sits in that person's binder for like five, six, seven months, and nobody wants to trade for it at the thirty-eight point five TCG mid price, they're going to accept ten cents on it, or they're going to accept accept eleven cents on it, just because it sat there for so long, and they understand like, okay, demand for this card is zero. I'd like to thank Ogre for basically introducing the concept of value trading to the greater St. Louis area, because it seems like no one really has a problem trading at a percentage here. Or even in the Midwest, or even in Mid Missouri, like Ogre has been around for so long in the St. Louis area that if you undercut him by like five percent, you'll just get all the cards. And you know, like I'm not bashing Ogre, but he's hard to trade with because he's sort of an intimidating force as far as his size goes. Like I could beat, like anyone could beat up Doug and run off with this, their cards and carry him like a backpack across the parking lot while they're running with his binder. But like <laughs> Ogre, like physically moves into you, leans into you, like tries to get all up in your psyche to try and force you to do a trade, I, it feels like. So people are sort of used to the whole, I'm going to lose a percentage when I'm trading with this guy. Yeah, I feel like my trading strategy is, because I've never felt really right doing the whole value trading thing, especially when you delineate cards that you need or cards that you want, you know, cause I'm still a player. There's still cards I need, but there's also cards that I don't want and will accept if people trade them to me. So I've just always been, I think I'm going to approach it as sort of like if I trade, I'm going to try to focus on buying cards at cheap prices and then trading them at value to gain more buy list value. If that makes sense. So like, for example, trading five $1 bulk rares, for one dollar each for one five dollar rare because basically you're up two dollars or three dollars there 
So what do you guys think of that? I'm That's a big fine. Yeah, I'm a big fan of trading equal value now, but trading your not rotating trading your rotating stuff away. So there's a lot of people that have caught on to that. They only have a binder full of rotating stuff and they trade that for anything else that they can find. Okay. Um, so like people these last couple of weeks have had binders that only consisted of origins and dragons and that's all they had to trade unless like you really had something. And then they like the binder trick is as old as day. Every grinder has this. They have their first binder that's full of the high end stuff. You know, the stuff that everyone gets sparkles in their eyes and like a couple 30 to $40 cards that are more reachable for the casual trader at the GP level. And, you know, that's what they want to get rid of. That's the stuff that they came to this Grand Prix to get rid of. For a lot of, especially shops, it's it's power, it's dual lands, and they want standard cards, right? But if you have a card that they actually want, they'll pull out their second binder, and it'll be full of cards that everybody wants, but they don't have for trade. We're talking Cryptic Command, Stoneforge Mystic, Shocklands, Fetchlands. So you have to, you have to either go with the two binder approach of all the crap that is still worth money, but you know, you can't really move it or the spread is horrible on it. You want that in your first binder that you give to people. Cause that's the stuff that is the highest spread and you want to get stuff that's actually worth money or stuff that you can actually sell. Now, if someone comes in and they're a big power trader, they have a nice binder. Then you pull out your second binder and you're like, all right, now we can sort of go about our business. So that's cool. been in my experience at the grand prix level or IQs even. Uh, I realize. I, sorry, we've kind of gotten to the weeds, and I realize Travis, you haven't really, we haven't really talked about your process. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I am very far apart from Doug and Jeremy on this one because both of them have storefronts that they can utilize, um, and I don't. So uh, I don't do anything with bulk rares at all. Um, I don't really buy for my local players now. Uh, you know. Jeremy's competing to be the biggest store in his area, and he's really got one major competitor. Um, Doug sort of works this sort of uh, almost back alley strategy, and I don't know what the stores look like in his area. In Buffalo, there are like 11 stores. I they mean, don't exist. The stores aren't in your area? Uh, when I lived in Oswego from my college town where I started doing most of this, there was one LGS you could play FNM at within 40 miles, and then that store did not sell singles or buy singles. Yeah. There is just like a comic book shop. And then now that I live in Utica, there's one store that does FNM. They sell singles at above SCG prices and they don't buy cards. Yeah, which is, and when I lived in Buffalo, when I, when I first started playing in Buffalo, there was a little bit of action here. Now, I kid you not, there are like 10 stores. Um, and you just, you cannot buy a collection here. Uh, you know, I used to catch collections on Craigslist once every like two or three months. I don't think I bought a collection on Craigslist in like two or three years at this point um, because there's too much competition. So... Uh, I've essentially moved out of that realm entirely. I operate essentially uh, purely speculative at this point. Um, that's really the only place left for me to to look for profit. Um, you know, trading is is miserable. Uh, there's no you know buying and selling isn't really effective. Um, so it's mostly just just speculative type stuff. Um, so I you know and I try and diversify on that front. But I think that's going to be what a lot of listeners are probably going to be closest to as well. Um, because a lot of people are probably in the same position or they don't want to turn this into an actual job, which is what uh, Doug and Jeremy do. So it's um, yeah, just just specking on stuff, really, just stacks of a couple different cards and hoping you get there. Something I'm going to point out before we move on to our viewer questions, because this really needles me. No, that's not a pun. Um, is everyone thinks that you can make it trading. Everyone thinks that you're going to be the next MTG finance millionaire. Doug's in grad school. I'm going into law school. Most grinders do this on the weekends. For the love of God, do not try to become a full-time trader. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, most of us have lives, right? Like... What's, a, what's a life? Just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... It, uh... It's interesting, Travis, that you mentioned specking because I'm actually at the point where I, I I want the opposite of that. And that's where a little bit of my frustration comes from almost all of the MTG finance podcasts that, that I listen to is that outside of like a few select episodes, it's almost all speculation. And I feel like that's a huge part of what I don't like about this sort of MTG uh, aspect of uh, MTG finance aspect is that I don't like gambling. I mean, I like gambling. I love, I'm a gamer. I love gambling, but when it comes to MTG finance, like I, I buy bulk and then I pick it and then I flip it. 
to me because yep. that's <laughs> yeah it's it's because it's low risk it's literally i'm trading cash for basically cash and i will happily trade uh like uh, like doug i will happily trade people cards my cards for tcg mid for bulk rares at 10 cents I, yeah. I gotta be honest with you for any cast member or for anyone listening, I pay 150% of the industry standard for bulk at the moment. So Matt's got a pretty sweet out. <laughs> yeah. um, so, what, what you're talking about here is, is frankly, it's a good idea. I mean, really, if that's an avenue that's available to you and an option, that is exactly what you want to be doing because it is consistent, it's reliable, and there's no, there's no risk, right? Um, but it's it's a job. I mean, at that point, it's not it's not fun, it's not exciting, it's not sexy, it's literally just a job. Yeah, uh, that's also true. It, and and there is nothing wrong with that. It's just you have to know what you're doing. And not, not I shouldn't even say you have to know what you're doing. You just need to know kind of what you're getting into. Um, and and I, this is a really good point that's been raised before is take the time that you spend doing this and compare it to a part-time job as a waiter you know can you get a job waiting at at the cheesecake factory or something like that uh where you can make i don't know what 10 or 15 bucks an hour it's not sexy it's not exciting and you can't do it on your own schedule but you might find that your hourly profits are better uh so you, you just have to answer that for yourself um so i i completely respect everything about where you're coming from um it's just that is a very different uh, way to engage with it because for me with the sort of speculative speculating thing I can go two months and not pay any attention I'm like I'm really busy right now I'm planning a wedding I'm not gonna really look at much and I know what I've got in my piles of cards and I'll keep an eye on you know the price increases every day just to see if anything that I bought pop but I can just avoid buying cards and when I'm ready to get back into it I can do it but I feel like if you're in that bulk mode you kind of always have to be grinding and putting hours of work into it um, and it's a very different it's a very different process yeah for sure the best thing you can get is a new collection though. Like that's the best feeling in the world when you're about to start picking it. Oh, yeah. don't, don't get me wrong. When I bought those huge collections and like I got them for really cheap and I did not know it was in them. Oh my God. I could not wait to get home and open those. Right. You're just so excited, but it, it, it's been so long since I've been able to find them that it's just, it's just gone now. Yep. All should, right. we, should we segue this into uh, the breaking bulk that Matt wanted to talk about? Because I have a really good talk. Uh, yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, really good one. Okay. So, uh, actually, Matt, you want to introduce this just so people know what we're talking about? Oh, sure. I just was kind of uh, – I always find it kind of fun when I pick uh, to find out that a certain card is not actually bulk and that either – because a lot of us, we have no idea about this whole world of 60-card casual – Oh, I, this is my wheelhouse, man. Don't even. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're talking you to the number one bird. casual shop in Missouri. Where <laughs> we get 35 people to come in on Tuesdays and play 60 card or EDH. So okay. I don't want to hear the shenanigans. Well, I'm just saying that most people don't have that experience. Uh, most true. people have their ears to SCGs, CFB, you know, whatever Craig Wesco is playing or whatever pro, like the pro tour or whatever. Yeah. And you forget just that. Say, just say Saffron Olive. Just, just say yeah, Saffron sure, Olive. Sure. <laughs> Saffron Olive. Sure. Uh, that you forget, like there's all these players that are just like, yeah, I just want four of that card for my deck so I can play at my, my friend's house. Yep. And so it's always surprising to me to find these bulk cards that are not in fact bulk. Yeah. Um, um, I'll segue a little bit off of that because the card I was originally going to pick is not a casual card, but I will start with a casual card that is the exact kind of uh, four of card that you mentioned. Um, Dash Hopes is one of the only yeah. black counterspells in the entire game. It is a conditional counterspell. Black, black, instant. When you cast this, they can pay five life to counter it, but it's a black counterspell. And a competitive player looks at this and says, it's bad, it's the worst one whenever you cast it. They can pick. They, a smart player will know how to play around it and pick whichever one benefits them the most. A uh, casual player just wants to play a black counterspell, and if it says black, black, instant, target player loses five life, then that's way above the curve from what they're expecting. So card is a dollar. You don't really get planar chaos bulk very often, but if you do, these are like a solid dollar retail. You can get these, get rid of these so easily because like 80% of the player base is that kind of player you were talking about. Yeah. On the same uh, token, darkness. Yep, darkness. Well, that, that one's an token. EDH card, though. That's like that's like an actual competitive card for EDH with like Taza and stuff. No, oh, that's really? a competitive okay. card in ad nauseum. Oh no, darkness is the fog. No, no, I was thinking yeah. of darkest hour. My right. bad. I was thinking of darkest hour, but yeah, darkness is. Yeah, you're right. 
Doug, you know you're tripping when the one guy that hates modern knows the card that's played in modern. Okay. I don't even so my other pick is uh, the card I was actually originally planning. Um, I got this one picking a collection just a couple days ago. Um, most competitive players know that Summer Bloom is banned in modern. Most competitive players do not know that the card is still worth like a solid two dollars, two dollars fifty cents. Uh, buy list are still like a buck, buck fifty. So uh, the card did not like plummet when it was banned. It didn't go out of style. Foils are still like stupid expensive. I needed one for Child of Alar, and they're still like twenty bucks or something like that. But Summer Bloom is not bulk. Uh, it didn't used to be bulk when it was unbanned. It's still not bulk. Uh, I'm not sure if that's casual player demand because this card doesn't even really have a whole lot of casual demand. But Bio still pay like a buck, a buck fifty. So continue to pick these if you find ninth edition bulk or portal revisions. Also, darkness isn't an ad nauseum card. Just no, I thought he said me. darkness. Yeah, darkness. The yeah, black darkness fog. Is the black is that, yeah, you're right. It's not an ad nauseum card, though. It popped not that long ago, but it wasn't from ad nauseum. I could have sworn the one, the one that says prevent all combat damage that was printed in Legends. Yeah, that's I mean, you look at in our ad nauseum meta. If you, if you look at MTG top eight, oh, maybe hold on, maybe that's wait. Yeah, wait. I was gonna say it's played in our ad nauseum meta because I walk by and see people having it in graveyards. Oh, you know, I apologize. I apologize. I, I had I had only selected on main deck, not sideboard. Wow. My bad. It appears you're descending into a pit of darkness. Yeah. But at least Doug's pick is blooming with profits. Matt, are there any other cards that you want to talk about as far as what's not bulk? Um, I'm actually surprised. I'm looking a lot at Theros block and a lot of the archetypes. Uh, for example, they're small picks, but they are picks, um, as well as uh, I'm looking at some of like the Cyclops of Eternal Rage, where basically you have these enchantment creatures with enchantment abilities. So that's the, that's what I'm. Uh, so, uh, Sunbond is a great pick too, or I'm not sure if that's the name, but it's like the four mana white enchantment from Born of the Gods, and it's like enchanted creature has whenever you gain life, put X counters on this card. Sunbond. That oh, card, okay. yeah, Sunbond. Cool. That card's like fifty cents. Um, and also I'm gonna. Uh, toot my own horn a little bit here. If you want to know more about these obscure little, like, casual, semi-casual, dollar, two-dollar commons and uncommons, uh, follow the hashtag BreakingBulk on Twitter. That's where I post all my uh, okay. obscure little cards that I post uh, when I find them picking bulk, like Emmerwolf, Twisted Image, Acreclaw Mirror. Uh, Wait, you're going to ruin my pick if you keep going. <laughs> Number right, one. No, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, the card that is paid for so many beers for me is Journey to Nowhere. Everyone still has that in their bulk, and it's a free dollar bill every time you find one. They're like two on the stack on the top of the stack of cards that I was yeah. going through. Almost every major vendor is paying a dollar on them now and selling them for two. So, like that leaves no profit for them, but apparently they can't keep them in stock. So it's free money. Yep, it's that one's actually Popper though. That that's a very good card in Popper. Yep, that's the reason that jumped. All right, you guys want to get into pick of the week? Hey, what about me? Travis, Travis go ball. for it. I have none. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, got nothing. I have no clue. I don't pick the ball. I couldn't tell you. Take my carpet of flowers pick. Do it. Yeah, that one. That Everyone one. Everyone knows that one, right? Yeah, and no one ever gets to pick Urza's Saga bulk, so uh, that's not Does a good one. Expedition map count? Expedition maps. We do. Oh, I yeah. have I have bulk that I get a pick tonight from a collection by at the shop after this. That is Homelands through Visions, and I am gonna be like a k a little kid in a candy shop. Because there's so much have good bulk. No, no, but it's just fun to go through those cards. Homelands yeah, through Visions has what like what's what's before Visions and after Homelands? A ton of light. Like, well, there's like fourth edition too. So I'm expecting to find a bunch of uh, dark rituals and stuff that mm -hmm. we normally find. If you get bolts, that's fine too. Oh, I've got. I am bringing two hundred and something fourth edition bolts to Atlanta if I go. Like, no joke. Those things are never selling here. So, because no one wants to buy white border bolts. Exsanguinate, brain geyser. These are all picks. Yep. Yeah. You guys want to get into pick of the week? Sure. Doug, what's your pick of the week? Uh, I can't. I can't really do it unless you sing me a bedtime story, Jeremy. Oh my god! I. For everyone listening, I hate you because you commented that I have to sing this goddamn song. But it's time for the pick of the week. All right, Doug, go for it. 
I don't know, Doug, that sounded pretty weak to me, right? Like maybe you should do it once more <laughs> no, with sorry, a little more sorry. fervor. You're not picking on me to do it again. All right, no, 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 segue, uh, pun segue. So since Travis said the word fervor, my pick of the week is Dragon Tempest because this card is a fervor for dragons. Uh, we, Matt and I were talking about bulk rares earlier. You pay 10 cents for these. Uh, Dragon Tempest gives all your dragons haste. Or no, it's, it's not even dragons. It's just creatures are flying. That's even better. Uh, whenever a dragon enters the battlefield under your control, does X damage to a creature or player, where X is the number of dragons you control. Two mana enchantment. That card and Crucible of Fire will both be like two or three dollar cards three years down the road. Crucible's and already buy listing for money. If you listened to us back a year ago, you would have already tripled what you had paid. Yeah. So casual players like dragons. Dragons have enchantment support now. Uh, Dragon Tempest is a good magic card. You can buy them for ten cents, trade for them for fifteen cents, whatever you want to do. Uh, and then you just sit it in the box and remember them two years later. They'll be worth money. Who is so, the right. us in that sentence, Jeremy? What? Who is the us? You said if you listened to us a year ago. We haven't been doing this a year, have we? Yeah, we no, have. I'm talking articles. Oh. We've been doing this for almost a year. Yep. No We started way. in November. Yeah. Wait, really? Yeah. Yep. It was called Yogmas Bargains because that I was, was horrible at picking names. Yeah, Absolutely that was really horrible. bad. That was yep. really bad. Oh, I was on the first cast. I was on the second one, right? I mean, we were, yeah, both I, in, we were all in this first cast. No, we were going to interview like a pile of garbage, but then the pile of garbage couldn't make it, so we asked Travis instead. It was our next choice. Matt, what's your pick of the week? Well, I didn't pick one out, but I would say that if I were to look at anything and to just like, if you were just to buy something, I would buy a bunch of Origins Uncommons. Uh, I don't think they're ever going to be lower. And a lot of them are either sweet cards that you're going to be able to have the original version for when they are reprinted in standard, if they ever get reprinted in standard, or they're just going to kind of slowly creep up because it's from Origins. Sphinx's tutelage is $2. Yeah. Most people know that one, actually, just because it's pretty recent and because uh, the sort of, like, Jace's Erasure, Sphinx's Tutelage has caught on, but it's still $2 for those who don't know. Travis, do you have a pick? Yeah, I do. Uh, so we talked about uh, Star City Indianapolis, the, the recent Star City Open, uh, a little bit earlier, and we talked about how the format was basically nothing but aggro, uh, which is not a reasonable place for a format to remain. Um, I don't think that it will continue to look like that in the weeks coming. Uh, so if it's not going to be all aggro, that means there's either going to be there's going to be some mid range control, maybe even some combo strategies that we haven't really seen on camera yet, which we could see in the coming weeks. So that means there's some opportunity in there. Um, the one card in particular that I I, I kind of think is interesting is uh, is Crush of Tentacles. This is had jumped up to like seven or eight bucks, I think. It's back down close to two dollars. Uh, if you look at a card like Fumigate, which is a new Wrath, it's a very strong 5-mana Wrath. The problem is it doesn't answer vehicles because they're never a creature on your turn, which means that you can Wrath away your opponent's whole board, gain a couple life. They're just going to slam a creature, activate Copter, and swing again immediately because the Copter doesn't get removed and the creature can accrue it even with summoning sickness. Um, and they've been looting the entire game with uh, the vehicle, uh, with the loot Copter, so they're probably going to have the creature in hand. Um, so Fumigate doesn't really stem the bleeding as much as you'd like it to. Crush of Tentacles lifts all the vehicles up. Now, it doesn't destroy anything, but if you're playing against an aggressive strategy, they're going to be pretty restrained uh, on mana, especially because if they're looting, they're not keeping ex uh, excess lands. They're going to have a lot of business. So the Crush is just going to lift everything, including the vehicles, which means they can attack you next turn. You have your Crush or your your uh, your token, your 8-8 token to block against Fleet Wheel Cruiser if they have a, a haste follow-up. Um, and then you can, you know, kind of take control from there. So uh, it seems to me like it is it is the five mana wrath that the format didn't ask for, but the format deserves. Uh, it, it's just going to be good at answering vehicles in a way that most of these other wraths aren't going to be. I just want to add something. I like that pick, Travis, but I also just want to add um, on a positive note, I think that card, I didn't watch any SCG open coverage, so if anyone wants to correct me, that's fine. I think that card also sees play in the Aetherflux Reservoir deck. Because you cast it and like pick up all your random garbage, then replay it. Yep. And then you gain a bunch more life. I mean, it bounces the reservoir too, but that's fine. So like, it it has multiple roles, which I what I like about it. Yeah. Well, even yeah, if you yeah. don't pick up all that all your stuff to start comboing, you still get the opportunity cost of being able to play a bone saw, and then just crush. It's yep. just 
Yeah, really you get cool. the you get the surge bonus too, which is gets you the giant octopus. So yeah. Yep. Oh, I guess I do have a uh, like a a pick a pick that's kind of your guys' style. Uh, I think that temporal tra- trespass. That's the that's the from Fate Reforged. Correct. I th- that's like about as low as it's gonna be, right? Yep. I really liked Travis's Time Walk article that he wrote a few months back about how okay. basically no no card that says take an extra turn has ever been reprinted, except for like Time Walk and Time Warp. Like all the unique Time Walk effects have never been reprinted, and like are basically never bulk. Like even Wanderwine Prophets, which is like a really weird champion merfolk hit them so stack a merfolk take an extra turn whatever that card is like a dollar fifty and that's pure garbage yep so in that same vein is part the water veil worth picking up too or is it still have opportunity to go lower i really liked it when it spiked after the blue green crush deck came out i sold a bunch when they went up i think i'll pick them up for a quarter after rotation i like that one less because it's bfz but yeah wait till rotation Okay. I, yeah, part of the water veil was one, is one of my least favorite just because it's an expensive time walk, uh, and I don't know if the awaken is the awaken gimmick is going to play well with the market that likes those cards. It's not to say that it's bad; it's just that it's not as exciting to me as like some of the other ones have been. That makes sense. Man, there's so many good picks. Hmm. Having to narrow it down to one is rough. Hmm, having to pretend like I have one. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, have too many I mean, Koth is still showing insane games. Venser is still showing insane gains. Farik or not Farika. Phoenix is still showing insane gains. Phoenix. Yeah, all those cards are Phoenix. free. You say man? What do you say? Mana. Mana. So, so it's mana. Uh, man, I can't believe you said that. Were you trying to do a Missouri accent? Well, I was just trying to use mana, like man I, mana. Man, I can't believe that. I don't know what you people in Missouri sound like. I try not to talk to you. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. Coming from, from a ci- coming from a city slicker. Um, man, what do I want to go with this week? I think I'm going to go with Cranko Mob Boss. Uh, that card still has a ton of demand, even though it got reprinted, and we can't keep them in stock. And there's like they're non-existent. They won't be in binders because all the people that want them like throw them in a deck. They never want to trade them because it's a powerful casual effect. Uh, so if you see them in a binder, snap trade for them because that card's not going down anytime soon. Card says tap doubling season. Yeah, it's Crank- only good in one deck, but it says tap doubling season in that deck. Yep. Wait, what deck are you referring to? Goblins. It's Cranko Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know who he is. I have him in my Zada deck, and he's. Uh... Pretty nutty. All right. Well, you guys want to talk about anything else, or you want to wrap up the cast? Uh, uh, there's the masterpiece effect I wanted to touch on. Oh yeah, real quick, go for it. Um, yeah. So I was just curious. We saw that there was, you know, post post pre-release, there was like a little bit of a dip for certain cards. Uh, Smuggler's Copter being one of them, and then we've seen Smuggler's Copter, for example, gone up, as opposed to the masterpiece effect, which logic states would drive prices down, uh, you know, as more product gets opened and as people are rushing to get their masterpieces. So I was curious if you guys had seen that masterpiece effect price trend bear out um, yet. Uh, well, if you have, on what cards like can you look at? If not. Do you think that there will be as drastic of a masterpiece effect as Battle for Zendikar had? And what do you think is the time frame to actually see this bottoming out effect? So it's like three questions into one. Uh, I will say, and this is kind of also answering a viewer question because I think we're going to be done after this. Uh, Matt Morgan sort of asked the same thing, like, Lowering price of Kaladesh inventions, does that mean there's no demand? Does that mean there's too many being opened? Are people undercutting that hard? Also, uh, uh, Maddie Studios is now in an MTG Finance and asks the same question. Okay. I think it's a little bit of all of the above. Um, these are singleton random artifacts. Like, instead of four of X multiple, like, modern legacy staples, like the Fetchlands and Shockwands were. So, like, 
people only need one chromatic lantern for their EDH deck, people only need one solemn simulacrum, people only need one sword, uh, all that stuff. And then there's less demand for them. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff being open. Like it's only the first week. So I don't think Smuggler's Copter can sustain uh, like what's it, whatever's that now, like 12, 13, unless it's really that good. If it is, what is it, like 15, 20? What is that card worth? 15 right now. Okay, yeah. Uh, unless it's just absolutely that format breaking and like top eight's 32 copies of the Pro Tour, uh, it's not going to stay that high. I mean, I was wrong about Smuggler's Copter before, but I just generally like selling cards at retail. So um, if somebody else wants to answer the rest of your question, that's fine. Sure. Um, well, as for the prices right now, I mean, they're all over the place and it's, I'm not, I haven't paid that close attention because it's, we're still in that very early flux where they're just kind of moving rapidly, um, and mostly crashing across the board. I think expeditions, um, took kind of turn upwards in late November. So I would start paying a little, I, I'll probably start paying a little more attention, like halfway through the month, closer to the end of the month and start seeing which direction we're headed. Um, I do, they are gonna, they are gonna crush the price of standard. I mean, I don't, I don't see how that doesn't happen. Um, and it's also why I'm really reluctant to hold, to be too interested in, in rares, standard rares that are gonna be worth more than a couple bucks because it's just such an uphill battle for those cards. Um, was there any questions specifically that I'd, that I didn't answer. I, I didn't quite. No, no, no. I was just seeing if, Oh, I guess the most important question is a lot of people talk about, I hear all across the world of magic finance, whether on YouTube or podcasts that the masterpiece effect will have a drastic, will suppress standard prices. It fucked shops so hard, man. Yeah. You have no idea. There's no shops okay. that can open Kaladesh boxes anymore and make a profit. Yeah. It's not just me. We, we don't have any numbers yet because it's way too early to tell. Uh, set prices are always in fluctuation at this point, but I th we're all sort of estimating about a 20% loss on um, set standard singles. Okay. Yep. I didn't know if there was a specific time frame where we see that you can point and say, yes, this is the Kaladin. This is the masterpiece effect. Well, I mean, every set going forward, this is the new mythic rarity. Yeah. About I, a month I, after the set opens, is I think a good marker to realize like this is when a enough product has been open to notice an impact. Uh, yeah, I just I just wrote an article about this like a couple weeks ago about Zenicar and Expeditions and looking back at it. But the short version I'll give you here is that um, go look up the set price graph for Battle for Zenicar. And that and then you'll see the price, you know, as with almost all sets, is that you know pre-release jumps and then voom, and then you'll kind of see some amount of action. And like after it hits that floor uh, within a couple of weeks and you can kind of see where it, where it landed. Um, and you can look at that and then look at Kaladesh and kind of see uh, when they finally hit their sort of floor and they stabilize. And then that will tell you, you know, by how much the impact, the, the, the impact the inventions have had. Okay. And are Eldritch Moon cards really good places to put your money in? No. Eldritch Moon is the highest EV of any box right yeah. now in standard. It's eighty-three dollars okay. mid or a hundred, I forget. It's it's up there. I, I really am, like Eldritch Moon. Yeah, I no, say at this point, there's only two sets that I would really consider specking out of, and it's Eldritch Moon and uh, Oath of the Gatewatch, but to a lesser extent. But Eldritch Moon is my favorite set in standard right now because we had Eternal Masters and Conspiracy right out right yeah. to, to stop people from opening packs small set bad timing bad you know adjacent sets uh bad time of the year and no expeditions there's a lot going on there and a high power level in the set so prices are were suppressed early on uh but at you know as it leaves print um it's gonna go haywire and do you think do you guys think on that note do you guys think that Liliana's going to stay at 35, like Grim Flayer's going to stay at 15. Like Grim Flayer, yes. Liliana, no. Okay. I think yeah, everyone's Grim been placed money too. Because Grim, Grim Flayer's in modern and standard a ton of. Liliana is nowhere to be seen in, in modern, and she wasn't on the map in standard at Indy. Now that could change, but for right now, she's dropping. We t we talked about Grim Flayer specifically on Fast Finance this past yeah. week, and Grim Flayer is actually pretty legitimate in modern i mean it's showing up a lot in the jund and abzan list uh in modern right now so um definitely worth keeping your eyes on that guy emerald was worth looking after too after that aether flux Re aether flux reservoir deck no which card aether aether works marvel aether works marvel emerald oh yeah 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 I, I mean i so while we were early on in the podcast i was sorting through the cards that had come in the mail today 
and it was Mind Stylation, which I talked about in the cast, yep. Foil Grim Flares, and Emrakuls. Those are the cards that I got in today. And we're completely sold out of Emrakuls and Ulamogs, so do with that information as you might. You know, I'm so close to wanting to buy Ulamogs, but the only reason I haven't pulled the trigger is because Battle for Zenikar just, just got destroyed by the Expeditions, and it's like... I. I really can't do it. I I think it's probably going to make people money, but I, I can't. I can't. I think you're better it. off. And like for every for every you, you could buy, you can get like half an Emrakul, and I think that's just better. Uh, they're closer okay. in price to the net, aren't they? Isn't Ulamog like twelve and Emrakul? I like thought Ulamog was ten and Emrakul was twenty. Nope, Ulamog's like fourteen. Oh, oh, never mind. Okay, yeah, then that's even better. For every Ulamog, you can get an Emrakul. All right, so we're. I had one last question. Sorry. Oh my god. Damage. Because Jeremy, I asked you this earlier. Oh. But you couldn't answer. So I have I have a ton of these basic land packs. Oh yeah, goddammit, I hate this question. What do I what do I do with them? What how what's what can I sell them for? Who do I sell them to? Obscure finance question. Uh you throw them in with the rest of your basic lands and sell them at like six dollars per thousand. Okay. You burn them. <laughs> Wait, are they like just regular old land? Like nothing special about them? Yeah, they're just land packs from fat packs. Okay, yeah, just like throw them in the rest of your basic lands. And like, there are some shops that'll buy basic lands for like $6 per thousand, $5 per thousand just because they need them for limited. Uh, that's that's what I do. I mean, Craigslist maybe 7 or $8 per thousand, but that's pushing it. You stick them in a box somewhere, forget you have them, and when you eventually sell all of your magic cards, they're just included in the pile. If you decide to go into MTG Finance full-time and one your power bill inevitably goes out because you're not making any money, you can light them on fire. Magic cards don't work very well. Yeah, you can warm your mother's basement with the flames of those lands. All right, where can people find you guys? Uh, Go ahead and wrap this up. My name is Douglas Johnson. Everybody calls me DJ. You can find me on quietspeculation.com. My articles come out every Thursday behind the Insider Paywall. You can find me on brainstormbrewery.com. That goes out every Friday. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rose of Thorns, Facebook, Douglas Johnson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I am on Twitter at Matt Mendoza, and you can find me uh, every week at the A-Team at manadeprived.com. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Wednesday for MTG Price, and I do the MTG Fast Finance podcast. How about and you, I- Jeremy? Yeah, one sec. I was responding to customers who are annoyed that this podcast took so long and are demanding to trade with me. It's a rough life. Um, <laughs> you can find me at Zemitzel's Magic. You can find me in the great state of Missouri. You can find Matt in the less great state of Kansas. Oh, jeez. Jayhawk suck. Yeah, well, just remember who was pro-slavery and who was not. And we can burned I- your liberal ass to the ground. Can this podcast just be over by now? <laughs> it already is. You can find me at Valhalla's Gate. We're doing a $30 win a standard beta mock. Second place gets a set of future site termoglyphs, I believe. So if you want a high AV standard tournament, come down to that. We've had people drive an hour and a half just to play at FNM. So we should have a good tournament turnout and tournament for our win a beta mocks. So, I'm sure yeah. your player's begging for you to get there. I'm glad that you're plugging a random tournament right now. You know what? Yeah, my sorters are probably listening to this cast instead of working as well. Thanks for watching Cartel Aristocrats Finance Cast number 28 with Matt Mendoza, Travis, and Doug, and we'll see you guys next week.